0: Greg Wahl and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better.
1: Do you have a truck outside your house? Gosh. Oh, <laughs> I think they're putting up a giant piece of timber. They've been doing
2: the whole street, now they've decided to do it right in front of my podcast. <laughs> they're going to replace that one. An amazing setup. Live from the Energex Renewal Project, (laughs) it's episode 44
1: 44 of Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. (laughs) There's a giant truck outside your house. I know. I know. (laughs) And it's some sort of energy company, and they're replacing an energy pole. Well, really just
2: yeah, pretty... that's science, that's baby. Right. We've been know. waiting all morning for that noise to come and interrupt our <laughs> <laughs> our recording, Please, specifically at this time. But it'll only be this intro bit. That's
1: right, because we have an interview. <gasps> yes, it's the interview podcast. Excellent.
2: Now, episode forty-four. Episode forty-four. Episode forty-four. Divisible by forty-four, and it's and one. Yes, yeah. and two. Yeah, so it's not a what? It's not a prime. No, I know, but if it wasn't divisible by any of the other ones, then it would be. Yeah, because it's forty-four and one, but one yeah. in itself.
1: What are you saying? Any any even number is not going to be a prime unless it's two.
2: Oh well, well, laddie da. <sighs> I'm just trying
1: to put it like be a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting thing I found with the number forty-four. It's you heard of the Fibonacci sequence?
2: Yes, I have. Zero rabbits. Ra- rabbits? What? Rabbits fucking like crazy. Uh, Two rabbits become three rabbits, become five five rabbits, become become eight rabbits, 13. That's right. So you add the, like, so you start with zero,
1: so it's zero and one, and then you add those two together, and that gives you one, and then you add the next two, one and one together, gives you two, then one and two gives you three, then two and three gives you five, and three and five gives you eight, and five and eight gives you 13, and eight and 13 gives you 21, so on and so forth. That's the
2: Fibonacci sequence. I'm only in it for the rabbit incest.
1: Obviously so. But 44 is better than a Fibonacci number. Oh, really? I, I like the idea that people listening went, Forty-four. Greg is not a Fibonacci. No, it's not. It's not. It's better. It's a tribonacci number. <sighs> Very exciting. That sounds made up. Well, well, technically Fibonacci numbers are made up, but I mean, it's it's part. Of, anyway, it's useful in maths. Don't ask me more than that. All yeah. I can say, it's useful in math because it seems pretty kind of complicated. But a tribonacci. Oh, I can. A tribonacci. Tribonacci. Not tribonacci. Oh no! They're three times as bad. <laughs> yes. Forty-four is a tribonacci number, and what that means is you take the
2: three, previous three, three
1: digits. So you start with zero, zero, and one. So that yep. gives you one, and then you have zero, uh, one, one. Then you have zero, one, and one. That's right. So and then one, one, two. And then one, one, two. Yes. And then one Be 4. two. Be one, four. One, yes. one, one, one plus one plus two gives you four, and then gives you one plus two plus four, which is seven. Oh and wow. And it goes up like that. And 44 is one of those numbers. <laughs> so Which it's, one? It's, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. You can work it out. Work it out in, in your own time. Get a pencil and paper, guys. It's called the Tribonacci number, and it's very one of the Tribonacci numbers, and it's very, very cool. One of the early ones. In fact, probably the fifth one in the sequence, fourth one in the sequence. Anyway, it's very, very fun. I, I went, That's very exciting. The Tribonacci. You know, the only reason I put it in there is because it sounds good. Yeah. Like it, it, it'd be in the quarter It doesn't have the same kind of ring to it.
2: I guess you could have like an infinite array of in a Fibonacci sequence, No, that wouldn't work. They'd all be... But they'd be... They'd all be infinite numbers, but then... Oh, no, I think I just broke something in my head. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh- <laughs> uh, so have you done any interesting science this last week? It's the 10th! 10th in the sequence. I just checked the internet. Oh, good It's job. the 10th in the
1: sequence. There you go. Have I been doing an interesting science? Have I ever yeah. I went to the Parks radio telescope in Parks, New South Wales. <gasps> from the movie. From the mo- from the dish, which is loosely based on real events that happened during the Apollo eleven landing. Many different things have happened in many different dishes in, in Australia and around the world. They sort of put it all together. It's very, very loosely based. Anyway. The Parkes Radio Telescope is is a sixty-four meter radio astronomy device in the middle of the country, and it's fantastic. Oh wow! Look at them—they've picked up one of the one of the rods outside. Hey, I'm telling you about the the Parkes Radio Telescope with a giant claw. Stop! It. Stop! About the, stop talking about the giant claw. Stop it! There's a giant claw out the window. <laughs>
2: You want, me to, you want me to talk about radio telescopes? You can't even look down them and see the spider on the other end of the glass. No, well,
1: because no, it's a radio telescope. It's, they're better than optical telescopes because an optical telescope gets stopped by clouds and it gets stopped by particulate matter in the atmosphere. But to radio, the atmosphere is, is transparent. It's almost like it's not there. The only thing they've got to worry about really is wind. Strong wind knocking the damn thing over. Oh, so okay. That, that's it. So there's wobbling that, it. Wobbling it, yeah. And, and, and it get very, very dangerous. It's very, very cool. Hang on, they lifted me off the ground. Like, they, they actually, what's called the hayride, they put it down, to the, that whole dish to the ground. Is the,
2: there a guy who actually has to stop it as yes, it's going down? Yes. It, if it keeps going, does it just start to make a god-awful noise? It probably
1: has a point it can't go, but it comes to the ground and you step onto a stairs and it lifts you up 50 metres into the air like a big dish. It's awesome. I had a great time. It's wonderful. And it was some science as well. But I got lifted up by a giant dish. Now I know how a sugar cube feels in, a, in your coffee in the morning. Yeah, Very exciting. And it was really hot. And did they play cricket up there? Yes, because they've got a cricket wicket stuck onto the center of the <laughs> dish. Uh, oh, that's kind of true. So that was really cool. And we did other science stuff. I was there basically as part of a, an astronomy conference to talk about how to teach astronomy and uh, community science communication with astronomy. And it was awesome. I was there for three days. That's so, what I did.
2: So the Hubble telescope, is yes. that an optical telescope? Uh, it then? is an optical. And okay. it,
1: uh, yes, it is an optical telescope, yes. And oh, okay. it's up in think, space. Yeah. So you want to be outside. Not a lot of atmosphere up there. That's right. But it's really, really expensive to put things into space so sometimes they put them on top of mountains like in chile or something like that they they put an optical telescope up there as well and for things like x-ray and gamma ray telescopes or observatories they don't can't put them on the ground because our atmosphere absorbs them so because ah. otherwise we get killed by them or we get damaged we could be damaged by them so you you put them up into space where they're like the x-ray the chandra x-ray observatories in space can see all the x-rays around the universe ah cool some sort of wave wavelengths of light can go through the atmosphere and some can't we know that because we don't die there you go. Yay. It's very exciting. But that was I did. What about you? I can give you an
2: update on my mosquito trap. Well, from last episode, how's it going? Diddly. <laughs> not a single mosquito. <laughs> they're clever girl. But there's a lot of dumb flies around. Because <laughs> the thing's packed full of flies. <laughs> so they're all in there for, for the sugar. So they've got in for the wrong, wrong reason. So something like the yeast is not forming enough carbon dioxide. Probably not. It's not enough like a cow.
1: Oh, they make it more cow-like. People want to know what we're talking about. Go back to the last episode and, uh, and hear about Dan's exciting uh, experiment to catch mosquitoes using a plastic cow.
2: All right, we did a really wonderful interview. We did. Recently. With a really, really nice interviewee as well. It was yeah. really nice to us. A couple of weeks ago. And I've uh, got it all set up and ready to go. Excellent. Okay. I did have to cut a little bit for legal. We always have to cut for legal.
1: What do you mean? Yeah, just a, little, a couple of little oh, legal okay. things. A, and, we just cut something. It's fine. Yeah,
2: we always cut. We edit it. Yeah, we do I
1: edit it. We're professionals.
2: I'm professional. We're professionals. We're, I, We're a I team. sure am. We're a duo.
1: Ah. We're a duo. Oh, dear. We, we, we rise and fall together, Dan. Carry me
2: to the stars. All right. Uh, so let's get started on the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Thank you very
1: much for taking time to come in and be interviewed today. And that was oh, that was really awesome. I've learned so much about and definitely about and how it's not like and how people shouldn't.
2: What the hell, Dan? What uh, um what what the hell was that? That was th- th- some lawyers came to the door. What? and um you, there's nothing in it well it's just a long beep you can wait, hear me right it's like 40 minutes of beeping i should probably cut that down you before i broadcast it shouldn't <laughs> why I? did i wait um yeah no that's all. The, you, know, you you said every second episode has to have an interview so
1: we can't use any of that interview at all for legal reasons uh yeah not 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 one part of it no we can't even mention her name don't say it's a her don't say it's a her Okay, the, 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 the shim. We can't mention
2: Shim's name. What's a shim? She him. Okay, no, we're not allowed to do that for her. Him. Shim. Um, Dan, that's a ten-minute podcast. Yeah, quick, Brief. you know, to tight, but tight ten. <laughs> a tight ten. Tight ten with no information.
1: <laughs> and BP. Well, that's like the usual ten minutes at the start of the podcast. <laughs> we can't do that. People might write us a letter of some
2: sort. <sighs> They might. They're already angry enough in the forums. Yeah, yeah, they're a little bit riled
1: up. So we're. Um, All right. We're, we we can I, talk about the we can talk about the poll being. Is it up yet? Oh, it's already done. Oh man. Oh, you distracted me with your talk of cricket on a dish. The claw the claw. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but we're doing. That's it. Oh, well, enjoy everyone. Thanks. Um. Uh, if you really like the podcast, please rate us. Don't rate us on this podcast, of course. I'll
2: tell you what. Uh, tell you what. Yes. Why don't we go out and get an interview each? That's like a, a competition. Yes. I'm, I'm out. Welcome to the podcast, Towel
3: Waterhouse. Strangest name so far, I think. It's getting up there. What is towel? It's a Hebrew word. Oh, right. It means uh, dew. Is in on the grass.
2: Oh, that's nice. Meaning that you evaporate quickly and easily.
3: I would think that you're I, ephemeral, I'm not soluble or evaporatable.
2: <laughs> so tell you work for iiNet. You're yes. my man on the inside. You could say that. Yes, and I will, because it makes Great. it sound like it's a spy environment or something. No, or, or no, more so like I'm a diligent journalist and I've got like my contact on the inside, the FBI, but on a bit much nerdier level than that.
3: It's probably about right. I mean, journalists have to have their sources.
2: Yes, yes, and you are my source. <laughs> Although although you're more like a dealer because I've just gone for a a month without internet because we moved into a new house and there were problems with the wires at this end that we had to get all fixed up before you could actually serve me up all those lovely ones and zeros.
3: They are very addictive.
2: Yes. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today Mm -hmm. is ADSL because I was a bit concerned that it would be very slow here because there are different flavors of ADSL. In fact, ADSL starts as DSL, doesn't it?
3: Uh, yeah, essentially it starts as noise on your phone line. Broadband is effectively just that. It's noise that comes down your phone line. I'd hope almost everyone still remembers dial-up.
2: And that, that lovely sort of R2-D2 beeps that always used to fill me with joy, because I was just exactly. about to discover that no one had sent me email again.
3: <laughs> Basically, broadband is exactly that. It's dial-up, but on a much higher frequency, so kind of like how you can't hear a dog whistle. On an ADSL spectrum, you've got noise that's coming down on that higher frequency that you can't hear on your phone line. The problem is that with ADSL, it's also coming down a whole copper network of lines that aren't really designed for carrying signal of that high frequency.
2: Oh, okay. So it's just wires. Yeah. So I mean, even, even the old telephone wires that they put in the, in the 80s, they, they could still theoretically carry this signal.
3: Theoretically, yes.
2: Right. But, of course, they've, uh, they've degraded a bit, I imagine.
3: They are just like the pipes that you see carry water. They're not really designed to last for forever, really. Mm. They were originally put in place to carry sound and to carry a, a current a signal that would send the signal down the line your phone line would receive it at the end and then put that back into sound, and you would be able to hear it, and it would be relatively okay. And that's what the exchanges <laughs> were routing, all this sound putting it to where it was supposed to be. And so that's ADSL 1. ADSL is pretty much all the same. It's just that ADSL 1 goes up to a certain frequency and that then caps off at that certain frequency. And so over time, they've been pushing the line limits higher and higher. So originally it started off with year 256Ks and your 1.5 megabits. So the signal-to-margin ratio of the amount of data that you could get along a certain noise frequency over the line over a set period of time.
2: Okay. So if you're too far away from a relay station, relay station or a, exchange. an exchange? they call them telephone exchanges. Okay. Even though no one actually uses the telephone to post telephonic information anymore.
3: You're, you're talking about my mobile, right?
2: <laughs> so the exchange has to be close enough that the signal doesn't degrade?
3: Yeah. The problem is that we've like, it was pretty much found that The exchanges can only put an ADSL signal down, and the average distance that a signal can travel is about five kilometres. The problem is that even at five kilometres, the signal is just so slow that it is so degraded and corrupted by the attenuation that the the signal is untranslatable by the modem by the time it reaches that Mm. point.
2: So, what's what's the attenuation? That's just so.
3: So, attenuation is the drop-off of the signal as it goes down the line. I mean, if you try shouting, yes. If you try shouting off a a tall building, the people down below aren't going to be able to hear you because by the time it reaches down the bottom... All that energy is dissipated. Exactly. So the the energy as it travels down the line is eventually corroding to the point where there's not enough energy reaching the further distances. It obviously begs the question why essentially they were building telephone lines that were going for more than five kilometres back then, and that's because it wasn't required to have a set minimum distance because the noise for a phone line only require that very small amount at the very beginning. That's why dial-up can work everywhere because it only requires that small level of noise ra- ratio.
2: Ah, right. So does that mean that ADSL 2 has to be even closer to an exchange than ADSL 1?
3: Well... Effectively, yes, because five kilometers of range, you're probably only able to get about 1.5 megabits or 150 kilobytes per second. The closer you get, the stronger the signal is going to be. The thing is, the maximum speed of an ADSL-1 connection or the equipment that carries ADSL-1 is about 8 megabits or up to 24, which is ADSL-2. So... The closer you get, the more likely you are to be able to reach those higher speeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the maximum speed, of course, yeah, 24. You
2: guys pro- provide a service which is like a boost? To... uh So yes. I was, I'm was, i in an area where I can only get ADSL 1 from you guys, mm-hmm. but I could get ADSL 2 from a different group because their telephone exchange is closer than yours?
3: Not really. So. No. Well, the thing about Australia is that we had all of our infrastructure put in place originally by one telecommunications company, and uh, that was called Telecom back in the day or whatever it was before that. So they they were commissioned by the government to install all the telephone lines, to put all the stuff in place, and they ran phones. And then, for the sake of introducing competition and things like that, they started wholesaling out billing rights. So you could have your bill, you could have your line rented through another provider that would still use the same equipment and still uh, still use the same telephone exchanges, but they would bill you different rates for the phone calls that you made.
2: Ah, right. That's the, so the confusopoly that Scott Adams sometimes talks about.
3: Well, yeah. Where so the
2: rate's are so confusing that there's no way to make a, a rational decision between either one. So you end up making an emotional decision.
3: I guess that's kind of where we try and corner the
2: market then. <laughs> that guy with the beard on the ads is pretty endearing.
3: Finn, he's, he's definitely a cool guy. I've actually had the chance to meet him. His name's actually Dave. Oh, the, problem right. the problem is that he's pretty much exactly the same kind of person.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I just—I always envision him when I'm talking to you.
3: So. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's always a little uh, picture of him. I could try and talk with an Irish accent.
2: <laughs> then, if I'm in an area that can only get ADSL one, how is it that you guys can jump me up to the faster speeds? Is it so sort of piggybacking off someone else's
3: thing? Pretty much. Part of that whole wholesale agreement type thing is pretty much having to be able to purchase equipment off that certain big telco without and, and paying a slightly higher rate than we would if we were to put our own equipment in there based gotcha. on uh, the amount of subscribers that we have so in your specific instance you moved off an exchange where where we did have our own equipment and could provide you with adsl2 plus on our own equipment mm-hmm. at, a, at a different rate onto an area where we didn't have our own equipment So to provide you with the same speeds, we needed to pay a little bit more to be able to use the wholesale equipment that they set aside for us and everyone else that isn't themselves or isn't their own retail division.
2: Which I stayed with because I do like unmetered ABC iview.
3: That is one of our big perks. (laughs) Everyone loves Doctor Who.
2: Oh, don't we? I guess the copper network is at its limits at this point.
3: That would be pretty safe to say. I mean, pretty much everyone is pretty much calling out for higher and better technology. It's pretty much hit its peak. There's no real way to increase it without radical changes in any way, shape or form. I mean, there are higher limits to ADSL, but usually those sorts of things require just as much work as it would be to replace it for the most part. And Australia's
2: broadband isn't very good compared to a lot of the uh, developing world, is it? Developed world, not the developing world.
3: (laughs) No, there really is not much difference. Um, America does have different networks, but because their whole business structure relies on different providers installing different equipment in a lot of different other ways that they uh, they run things yes as far as our technology goes it is rather outdated and uh, this has been acknowledged by pretty much everyone in in from government to the uh, the network providers to everyone else i mean there are certain fiber connections and things like that that already exist within australia but they're only within certain developmental communities where they've actually been built from the ground up with this infrastructure in place japan's got crazy speeds doesn't it that has pretty much an entire fiber network running throughout most of it. Oh, okay.
2: And how does how would that compare to the national broadband network here? Because that's it, what our government is trying to put in, aren't they? And have it would started.
3: Effectively, yeah, it would be effectively the same sort of thing. What they're trying to implement is a fiber-to-the-home network, which is essentially what kind of runs throughout all of Japan. I, I'm not too sure on the exact details of what they have in terms of specific connections in Japan, but it seems like we are trying to emulate what currently is... One of the better forms of technology. We're not trying to outstep into new development opportunities. We're trying to at least catch up to a point where we can say that we are up to date with the latest technology and, and are up to speed, as it were.
2: Mm. I imagine that's going to be quite an ask because we're such a big country with such a small population that it just means you physically need a lot more cable to connect everyone.
3: Not really, because the whole idea of the whole, like, getting it out to the people for the most part, is uh, just about putting out in major metropolitan areas. In terms of population density, we've still got enough people within major capitals to be able to appeal to most people, to be able to roll it out to them, and then getting it out to the the countrywide areas is also something that's being done. And then from there, there are wireless and satellite as well that's uh, that's also going to be implemented as part of the whole NBN scheme that's being put out.
2: Oh, neat. That's good. And then National Broadband Network, that's fibre optics?
3: Yes, it is. It's fibre optic network throughout most of Australia well that'll be great
2: when the governments of australia continue to implement that throughout the country
3: you would hope that they would
2: yeah so uh, the opposition who are apparently definitely going to get in they're going to put in string and tin cans or something
3: effectively so the whole thing i mentioned before with the with the getting the 24 up to 24 megabits is obviously depend on how far away from the exchange you are what they plan to do is move that sort of equipment closer to everyone through building nodes whatever they are and then rubbing running fiber from that back to the exchange or back to wherever it needs to go so oh, they're moving okay. they're moving smaller exchanges closer to everyone and then having those mini connections run back to the exchanges and then back onto the network so all these telephone exchanges are connected by fiber to everywhere else and and do have like a a link that allows for everyone within the area to have a set limit of speed and to to be able to have that. The big pipes. Yeah, exactly. And they go back to data centers and data centers go to the big, the big pipe networks that lead to overseas run under the bottom of the ocean that people drop giant anchors on and crush (laughs) every now and then. But the whole idea of that is to be able to provide the current maximum allowance on a ADSL two plus connection to almost everyone Uh, the whole idea though is that it's under the belief that 24 megabits is more than enough for anyone that's currently within australia
2: Ah, usually when people say something like that it ends up being an extremely funny joke about five years in the future i know that bill gates is still getting quoted as saying that 640 kilobytes of memory is more than anyone would ever need
3: yep he does still receive those emails he um I think I think everyone brings it up every now and then to him as well. But uh,
2: <laughs> he must have a standard reply to it now.
3: He must have like a, a
2: rule set up in his email. <laughs> in his email, I, I, but it, when you talk, when you say in, in public, he goes, "Is it?" Do you, I, apparently, you think that this. He's got to have like a really witty bon mot that he's prepared
3: after like thirty years of hearing it. He's probably got something like uh, he probably throws cash at someone,
2: uh, or he just opens up a box of malaria-infected mosquitoes.
3: <laughs> yep. Probably offers them the cure, but it'll have to make, make them sign a non disclosure agreement, a, um, injunction.
2: All right. Well, you have filled me in on everything I ever wanted to know about ADSL.
3: I, I would hope so.
2: So, thank you very much. Thank you again to Tal Waterhouse from iinet.
1: And I just have to say, Tal's making a big call there on being the most interesting name. I have just like to point out interviewee in the old pod, in an older podcast, Mister Carrington Vanston. That name wins, surely. But Carrington Vanston. Yeah,
2: Carrington Vanston sounds like a like a, a space-age cowboy. It... <laughs> Tal Waterhouse sounds... Careful. No, it's a different type of hero. Uh, Tal Waterhouse. Like on Dune.
1: On Dune.
2: Like, yeah, yeah. The spice e- must flow, Tal Waterhouse. Something eclectic yes, by, uh, yeah. by David Lynch. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's it. There you go, Tal. Thank you very much. Now, now we you didn't actually mention... Though it's really interesting to work out how we actually get our our addictive internet to to our houses. You didn't actually mention what ADSL stands for. That's asynchronous DSL. (laughs) Digital subscriber line. Yay. Or sometimes asymmetric. Oh, okay. Digital subscriber line. There you go. Now we know. So hopefully Australia will get a really good network in one way or the other in the future. (sighs) We'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay, so you had a great little interview about ADSL and, yep. and how the internet actually works, or at least how we get signals down the line. Mm-hmm. I've got an interview with a doctor. Not a medical doctor, but a science doctor. P. Oh, PhD. a real doctor. A real... <laughs> yes, I managed to interview a lovely lady at the uh, the conference talking about Mars. Oh, God. Yes, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Carol Oliver. <laughs> Thank you much for, for interview, being interviewed today. Now, we're here today at Parks in New South Wales. And what are you actually here for?
0: Well, I'm here for the uh, teacher conference. Um, and we're, uh, I'm, I'm here because uh, we have a... A lot of teachers here and I would like to connect with them because I have Mars Yard in Sydney and uh, this Mars Yard will be accessible for these teachers in middle of next year, 2014. We'll
1: now, as many of the people who listen to this podcast will know, I'm desperate to get to Mars. I don't think I'm going to <laughs> in my lifetime. So this seems like a very exciting way that I could possibly get the experience of going to Mars. So what is Mars Yard?
0: Well, you only have to come to Sydney to go to Mars. Uh, It's a (laughs) 140-square-metre Mars yard. It's the largest in the world. It's kind of a diorama of Mars, but it's scientifically accurate, Mm -hmm. and it has to be because we do science and engineering research there, so robotics research. Uh, But we also have an education program, and that education program is for high school students from years 7 to 12. Mm -hmm. And our next step is to allow that to be accessed remotely huh. in classrooms throughout Australia, That's wherever That's very exciting. They are. <laughs> oh, very exciting.
1: So when you mean remotely, I mean people will be able to log in and, and actually activate and use the rover itself.
0: That's correct, and they'll be able to see the rover, and it will be an automatic booking process, and The rovers will self power, so we use no human (laughs) interference required. The teachers will also get a virtual uh, Mars Yard, which Mm -hmm. has a replica of uh, the rovers, and there will be more than one, there are three of them. And their students will be able to actually test out their missions to Mars before they go into the Mars Yard because it, it is a, a, a slow process to, yes, yeah. to learn how to drive a six-wheel vehicle. <laughs> it's not
1: Especially when you can't, you're can't. you not just driving and turning the wheel yourself. You have to send in the command, it has to activate the command and, that, and implement the command, yeah, I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. Oh. And it's, it's a slow and tedious task, uh, so they need to get around that Mars Yard in a, a really a quite efficient way with a minimum of commands. So they're really learning the way, the same way as you would learn to drive a rover on Mars. Right. Uh, and uh, the next two rovers that we're building are quite experimental, looking towards future Mars exploration. So the students get to use that first.
1: So the first one, I saw a picture today, the first one you made, which you called Snickers, is that right? Uh, the little one?
0: The Snickers is a little one. We, we won't be using that one. We're using oh, okay. the larger one, Mawson, Mawson. Uh, okay. which is a six-wheel one. Snickers is just a, a four-wheel one, which we... It looks recognize. like Sojourner,
1: kind of. Yes,
0: it does, yes, yes, yes. 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 And, and just
1: to tell that I, I did find it very funny. So why did you call it Snickers? <laughs>
0: well, I asked the engineers this, and they said, well, not Mars bar, but it's a tasty treat, so we caught it <laughs> Snickers.
1: I do love that. That's fantastic. So, so yeah, it's small, but a that's the size of Opportunity, and, cur- and uh, not Curiosity, sorry, um, Spirit?
0: Spirit is now no longer with us, but not Opportunity, yes. yes, yes, well, in Very 2010. Sad. I know. Well, it, is, it is sad, but actually, they were only expected to last three months, and that was to that 2004. <laughs> so, Opportunity is going strong, and it's, but it's not quite the size of Opportunity. Our Mars right. Yard is not, not that uh, big enough for that, but mm. it it's, it, it is getting to be that way. It's probably about two-thirds of the size of opportunity, yeah.
1: And in... in the- in the world, it's actually located in Sydney in the Powerhouse Museum?
0: That's correct, in the Powerhouse Museum there. Mm-hmm. and uh, So people can go there and visit. It's open to the public. Will there they be are... able to
1: use it if they walk in?
0: No, there are iPads where they can actually uh, engage with the Mars Yard virtually, yes, but because yep. we've got schools using the rover and because we've got um, engineers and scientists using the rovers too, that's going to be enormous pressure on our little Mars Yard. I understand. <laughs>
1: it sounds fantastic. I'm just intrigued. Um, what's your background and... and, and what gave you? What? what how did you get to this place? Seems like a really <laughs> exciting place to. Like, how did you be where you are right now? I'm mean, fascinated.
0: Well, I set out in life as a as, as a journalist, and then I wanted to specialize in science journalism. But then I met the um, astronomer Carl Sagan, and I had a one-hour interview with him, and he changed my perspective on life oh, in so, one hour. So
1: Carl Sagan. Actively changed your life in one hour. That's amazing. Oh wow! He
0: did. Oh, <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> and I and I determined that actually I was wasting my time in journalism, <laughs> and um, I, wanted oh, yeah. to, I wanted to do something much more effective. And it took me a while to to work out what that was. I was worrying first of all about public scientific literacy, and then I tracked that back into the high school environment. Mm. And this is all happening while we're seeing digital natives come online. You know, really, yes, basically. Yes. So we've got a very changed environment. It's a very exciting time to use something as inspirational as Mars Yard Mm. and to allow students to do experiments there or to actually carry out their own research. And we have had that experience of um, students carrying out their own research and that resulted in a science conference presentation and a refereed conference paper. They did really, really well. And when we put those students up in front of scientists at my university, the University of New South Wales, the opinion was these year 10 and 11 students had reached postgraduate level. Postgraduate level. That's amazing.
1: That's so amazing, it's, once again, it's not, the limitations don't come from the students, the limitations come from, that we put on them basically. Yes, but absolutely. But we assume that they can do.
0: Absolutely. That, 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 those students last year were my proof of concept that that was the case. That was yes. what I was seeing in the Mars Yard over the past couple of years. And so I'm fairly convinced that uh, we've got to do something different in science education. I, actually, the, the, the transmissive model of science uh, education, which mm. is basically teacher lecture student takes, takes notes. Yes, we pour it into their heads. Yeah, that's right, like <laughs> an empty brain. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, open your brain, let me pour in this information. Yes. is a way that these digital natives, they simply are totally uncomfortable with. They cannot learn that way. Yes. I heard a statistic the other day that uh, kids are now learning 95% of their science information from outside of the classroom, only 5% say, and 5% that's... inside.
1: I can give you an ev- example of that, is a, a uh, on YouTube, there's a site, uh, there's a, a channel called vSource, yeah. and he does science on that, and, and you read through his comment, and it's good science, like he really tries to be, think scientifically. And down the bottom it's I learnt more in your five minute interview, your five minute YouTube video than I learnt in a week of school, over and over again, from students all over the world. Yeah. He has millions of people read, seeing his videos, mm. uh, and he's just a guy who's dedicated to doing science, so I, yes, it's, it's, it's a different way of, of learning, I think, on, on the way, already here.
0: Yeah, it's proof of concept, mm. really, and I've actually had to tackle it from the other way around as well because uh, we found that the uh, students uh, that went through the program in the past couple of years even though they were only there for three hours we did surveys a couple of weeks beforehand and a couple of weeks after and we found that we had significantly increased their understanding of creativity in science which to me as a researcher was just amazing how did we do that in, yes. in three hours it means that uh, doing it over a, a, a term-long experience as we will be doing um, in our new program we should see a very strong signal there of that, that the understanding of creativity oh, in science. Fantastic.
1: That sounds amazing. I just really, now, one last question before you finish up. It says here that you're, you're the Associate Director of the Australian Centre of Astrobiology.
0: Yes. Does that mean looking for little green men? <laughs> well, actually, I have a student who's uh, working on the search for extraterrestrials uh, intelligence. <laughs> Good, I'm glad someone is. <laughs> but, but he's actually already got a doctorate in digital signal processing, otherwise I wouldn't have been taking it on. Um, I, I think SETI's really valuable thing to do on the back of radio astronomy because we should do it. If we've got the means to do it, we should do it. Uh, but it's a, it's a big, long shot. Sure. and We just simply have no other way of doing that right now. Yeah. Astrobiology is really what I'm involved in and that's looking for past or present life on uh, Mars, which is a lot closer in our neighbourhood. It's yes. what we can do and if we can find one other example of life, mm. it will it would be a huge impact on us, not only, not only socially and culturally because we would know that the universe is teeming with life and it's not yeah. that its not a dead and boring place as some people would have us think <laughs> but um, so, so I, but I'm with the life in the universe people that is full of life <laughs> but, but we need the proof for that you do. and uh, so uh, that's a place that we can actually work out that question and if we do have that second genesis of life then, then we can understand how to do a whole heap of things better, not least of which is um, medicine.
1: Yes, yeah. also things like if it's going to be similar to us as in this covergent evolution going on or is yep. it totally different or does it all be answered very major questions
0: oh yeah big 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 questions and we just we simply don't know the answer mm. uh, it's, it's really is it's re- we don't know if life is really easy to cook up or mm. if it's a really hard thing to cut, uh, to cook up and that is the basic question that we have about the universe uh,
1: it sounds like we're in good hands then with you dr carol oliver <laughs> thank you very much for talking to us at smart no better today
0: you're <laughs> welcome <laughs>
2: So there is a, a replica of the Mars surface in Sydney. Yes, yes, in the Brisbane Powerhouse Museum, yes. We, you realise we have to go. Well,
1: of course we have to go. We, we don't have to go. We have to go there. We have to break in after hours. And steal their robot. And I mean, wait, no, wait, Steal hang on. the robot?
2: No, I just want to sculpt a face. <laughs> Well, you we can go there. We'll put the link into the
1: podcast. You can actually go and look through their cams. and, and actually beg your pardon? You can look through their cams. Oh, cams, right. You can look through their cams and you can see what, what's going on inside. So you can actually sort of watch what's well, the, the rover wandering around. And, and if you're part of a school, you can control one of the rovers. As I said, you can't just be like a normal person and, and go, oh, I want to use a rover because there's too many people. I'm sure you
2: could take along your own RC car, though. Just drive around and in
1: there. That's they, they just love
2: that. But you Stick can take a laser pointer on the front. Bob's your uncle. Same experience. <laughs> That'd be the Australian Mars Rover. <laughs> it's just a dirt bike.
1: Interesting point that Dr. Oliver made, not in the interview, was how Australia doesn't have a space organisation of any sort and, and how this is becoming important, and not just for going to Mars and investigating, but for just things like satellites. Like We have uh, 18 or so satellites in orbit that Australia uses, and a lot of them are now going to become defunct. And we had to pay people a lot of money to go up and remove them and take other ones up and down. So if we had our own space agency and develop it slowly over time, then we could handle our own infrastructure. Would also, it be cheaper? Uh, in the end, it would be cheaper, yes. Huh. Also, it would be safer. I mean, if you're talking about national security, and you don't want people having access to your technology. I know it sounds, that sounds like, it. ooh, Cold War. Uh, yeah, yeah War. So
2: if we started a, like, if we went to war with America, yes. we still have to ask them to launch our... No,
1: they can't. They
2: can't. they have to ask
1: the Russians to do it. The Americans oh, can't put geez. satellites up as far as I'm aware. They, they haven't got any launch vehicles. Even the Americans use the Russian Soyuz capsule to get to the space station. I don't think Americans can. But oh, SpaceX. They space X. still... SpaceX can. But don't, sort of stuff. don't Americans still take up satellites? And stuff. I thought you still needed the space shuttle. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what that's what SpaceX is right. about. Maybe SpaceX, the, the private company, they they put uh, things up. That's the whole point. Why build the infrastructure yourself when you pay someone? But that's in America. So.
2: Yeah, Donald Trump can be uh, trusted, surely. Well, it's for money, yeah. That guy's a
1: psychopath. <laughs> Excellent. Allegedly. Uh, uh, allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. Allegedly. yes we'll, 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 uh, Shim is a, may, allegedly a psychopath. Is that, that all right? We've I think we've covered our
2: asses there. <laughs>
1: So that's it. All the interviews. You had an interview. I had an interview. I I think my interview trumps your interview. I'm afraid to say. I
2: think I think you
1: might be right. Yes, actually, I win the podcast.
2: And, uh, Episode 44 would be yeah. won by I'm, Gregoire. Yeah. I mean, I I assume that the second round will really sort the men from the second round. Yeah. Yeah. I've got my second interview ready to go up. You told me to get one interview. No, I said we're going to have competing interviews. Yes, and as we did, we, our interviews have competed. Yeah, and I've got interviews, and you bought interviews. So our interviews will be competing against each other. Oh, I I need to go and find someone very quickly. You better hurry.
1: Hey, hey, you, outside with the claw house. No, hang on, no, no. no. I need to talk to you about something.
2: No, that'll trump. He's gone. He's gone. Too late. Which is good, because that would have trumped me uh, easily. uh, The man who controls a giant metal claw. Yeah, no, I can't compete with that. Fine, let's listen to your little interview then. All right. Dr Joel Gilmore, welcome back to the podcast. Greetings and thank you. How many more continents have you visited since you were last on here?
4: Well, I confess I've got, already got my seven continents set out, but I have visited a couple more countries, which is good.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, so you've been to Africa?
4: I have. I, I did, went for a conference there. I present on the overlap of science and the arts, drama and so forth. So, Oh, that's just a junket, isn't it? Surely there's yeah. no
2: av- overlap between science and arts.
4: Well, that, that's, the, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, they were really interested in the side of things of whether science could inspire theatre and inspire art in new ways, looking at the way molecules interact and so forth. But I was also talking about how scientists can learn an awful lot from theatre and the arts in terms of communication, in terms of clarity around their stuff. And so, and you know, unique ways, new ways of presenting and everything.
2: Um, Uh, I I assume that you gave them a demonstration of smart enough to know better just to illustrate the point.
4: Had you guys been around there, I totally would have. (laughs) Because podcasts were just really starting to take off and everything and sort of transformation of people being able to get all their knowledge off the web instead of going to a university. I'd be scared if I was a university, let's say that.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you guys, how can they compete, and, right? And, and they haven't even seen my uh, intricately laid out plans, hand-lettered, <laughs> scribbly, spidery text.
4: I'm sure that they are quietly terrified.
2: Now, uh, you have recently been involved in quite an exciting project about uh, renewable energy, haven't you?
4: Yeah, yeah, I have. It's been fantastic. This is um, a big report released by the Australian Energy Market Operator, which is a body that runs all of the electricity systems in Australia and ensures that the market operates every half hour, that everyone's got power and everything, well, every five minutes, actually. And they've just done a really big study into whether or not we could switch Australia to 100% renewable energy. This is sort of the big study, the big question of, first of all, is this even possible? I think that's like a really big question that a lot of countries and world struggling with, can this even be done? Mm. And then the second question being how much will it cost? But in many ways that's a lesser part of it because if it can't be done at all, well, doesn't we matter should, how much money you throw at it. In. Exactly. We should stop worrying about, start working out how we could clean up coal or gas power stations and so forth. But the really exciting thing is, of course, that this study and another couple of studies, you know, internationally as well as in Australia have shown before, says that the answer is yes, it is possible. We really could, using a mix of wind and solar and a little bit of biofuel, so plant waste matter or, matter that, or plants that are grown specifically to burn in power stations, oh, yeah. you could really... But every five minutes of the year, you could produce enough electricity to keep everyone happy, at least at the same level that we can now. Because, you know, there's still blackouts now occasionally, even from our current system.
2: Yeah, um, occasionally and, you know, you know, when half the, half the city goes underwater.
4: Yeah, little things like that, power stations going underwater, tends to cause a little bit of tr- trouble. Yep. But excluding that, yeah, what this showed is that you can do it and it's awesome.
2: Now, aren't there problems with the whole solar power stops at night time? and wind power stops when the wind stops, and that they, you have to have base load provided by, like, power stations.
4: Yes, and this is, I guess, a big part of what the study was really trying to get to. Mm. So the part that I was really involved with, actually, is sort of a nice segue, is that
2: I, my, my company and I help you're, prepare. You're doing it again. Why is it everyone on this podcast draws attention to the segues? They only work as segues if you don't interrupt it by describing what they are. Actually,
4: that is a really interesting segue
2: because oh, God. Uh, we, we
4: can cut that bit, right? I helped to prepare a whole lot of historical data looking at what wind and solar was over the last 10 or so years. Yep. So what this study did was to imagine what? if you ran that data forwards... Everyone starts to use more energy and you start to slowly switch to wind and solar. Is there times in the year, are there hours in the year, for example, where no matter where you are in Australia, all of the wind has just stopped. It's just a completely still day. Oh, right. And that does actually happen or, you know, pretty close to it. You know, once every 10 years for a couple of hours or similarly, once every 10 years for a few hours, it'll be cloudy across the whole of Australia. And so those are the times that will really stress out the system. Most of the time you've got, you know, maybe it's cloudy in Queensland, but it's sunny in South Australia and so forth. And so if you've got good enough transmission lines, power lines, you can move the power from Queensland down south and south to north. And for those few times in the year where it's, it's really bad, that's when you go to some of these backup things you've got. So that might be Queensland, for example, we harvest cane sugar and there's a lot of waste that comes out of that. And these power stations actually burn that waste, often quite inefficiently just mm. to get rid of it. And so some of them are now converting over to actually producing power from that and selling it to make even more money. So it's that kind of thing that, you know, just when you need it, those power stations kick in.
2: Oh, wow, okay.
4: Overnight, though, that is, that is a big one. And so a key part of this, this study was that we need to have energy storage. We need a way of storing up energy during the day, so particularly solar energy, and
2: Millions of rechargeable lithium
4: batteries. Well, this is
2: this is the thing. I mean, one
4: of the cool things was that there's lots of options. And option one is a whole lot of batteries, where the lithium ion, if that keeps getting cheaper, or similar types of large scale batteries. They found that was at the moment too expensive, mm-hmm. and so what they're going with are big solar thermal power stations. I don't know if you guys have talked about that on here before, but instead of using solar panels like on your roof, this is where you basically have giant mirrors that you focus the sunlight down and you use that. You heat up salt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You heat up salt and you store that heat in the salt, and then when you need it, you just use that heat to boil water into steam which is how a normal power station works, except yep. normal stations you know might use coal or gas yep. to heat Great
2: up. Great big kettle.
4: Exactly, and that's all it is. It's is like a kid with a magnifying glass focusing that sunlight down. Using that, you can actually store up oh, as much as you want, really, but this one, I think they went for about nine hours of storage so that if you have a fully sunny day, those power stations can continue generating for about nine hours.
2: Okay, so good sunset. in the summer.
4: Perfect in the summer, and actually, it's winter when things start to get a lot tougher. Yeah, you know, because in winter, well, see, so in Australia at the moment, summer is the really hard time because we have all about air conditioners going full bore, and so that's the really tough time of the year. Now, European and American cousins, it's the cold weather that really gets them. So it's heating in winter, and winter is the really tough time of the year. And so what we'll see is that in Australia, if this happens, if we go to this renewables world, you'll have so much solar solar power installed in summer that you've got no problem. You can run your air conditioners and it's all good. Oh uh, good. But in winter, that's when things will start to get tougher, just so there won't be as much solar power. And so more often you'll need to switch on some of these biofuels, like the you know the leftover plant matter. The storage becomes really important to get you through some of those days. But also Australia, you tend to have finer weather in winter and a lot of places. So even though the sun isn't up for as long, it's not quite as strong. You've got more hours of sunshine. Oh, you've got less likely to have weeks of no sunshine, weeks of rain like we Ah, yes. Here. Like so London. Exactly, like beautiful, not very sunny
2: London. So it's Australia's pretty much a, a perfect spot to have good renewable energy.
4: Like you don't want to brag, right? Yeah. But We've got wind, we've got
2: solar, there's even a, a new... Maybe that's why the government, especially the conservative government, is just wants to boast about it and go, look at all this, look at all this renewable energy, we're just going to waste, look at us burning coal, we don't even need to! Exactly, and this is... You know, just lording it over everyone.
4: Burning their, you know, sliding their cigarette with a dollar bill... Yeah. It works less with our plastic money, I guess, but...
2: Yeah, that no, makes it hard and yep. pretty toxic. Slightly acrid, yeah. So... But this know. must cost a fortune to put in, like big windmills and solar power and changing the whole grid. I mean, that's going to cost a fortune, isn't it? Well, good question. So one of the... It wasn't a question. It was a quite a pointed remark <laughs> pointing out your failings. Well,
4: so the short answer is Yes. To build all oh, right. this is going to cost you somewhere between $200 and $300 billion. Oh,
2: well, 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 well we, look, imagine how many schools and hospitals we could build for that, Joel Gilmore. Right.
4: But you can rest a little bit easy
2: for yeah. two reasons. One is
4: that when you actually divide that up amongst everybody who uses electricity, your bill would only go up by about 25%. What that means is, yeah, it's about an extra, oh, this is Australian money, six cents a kilowatt hour on your bill. Um, okay, so
2: if I was paying, uh, say, $300 a quarter. Yep. So what's that? Oh, so $100 a month. I would then, it would go up to about $125 a month. Exactly. That's the sort of ballpark figure we're talking about.
4: So, you know, that's still, I mean, not to diminish the cost. I mean, electricity is a big cost, particularly for a lot of, you know, struggling households and everything. Mm-hmm. But... We're only talking, inverted commas, about 25% more for electricity, and to do that, you could switch to 100% renewables, and you could save all of the healthcare costs that are associated with coal and gas, not oh. to mention all of the, um, the long-term climate costs associated with climate change. But that's certainly, this the cost of this is less than most of the studies that have looked at healthcare costs. Like China has huge health problems associated with pollution and coal. So you could take that money, build a renewable system, and you would probably still come out ahead. Oh wow! I mean, that's a big statement that you know would need to have lots of modelling done around it. But that's so it's of...
2: literally investing in the future. Exactly,
4: and you don't. Which is what
2: all, all good investment money. is.
4: Yeah. You just slowly, as the coal power stations start to get old, you replace them. You'd have to do that anyway. So it's Mm. not like this is extra money we have to spend. And the AMO, the the group that made this report, hasn't yet looked at a reference case. You know, what would you do if you didn't go to 100% renewables? What would you do instead? They haven't done that case. But there's still going to be a lot of costs associated with that because you have to replace stuff, like you replace toasters and fridges, you have to replace power stations, and you've got to do that anyway. And we're talking 40 years into the future. So you really have to replace everything by that point.
3: Oh, okay.
2: Okay. So, should I be getting solar panels on my roof?
4: Oh, I tell you what, the prices of solar panels are so cheap these days. I'm blown away. I was a bit of a solar sceptic maybe two years ago, just they were so expensive, and they have come down to the point that, yeah, if you've got a roof, you should put solar panels on it, because even if electricity prices don't go up in the future, you are going to be saving money. It's like that good after, you know, the payoff period is about maybe eight, ten years, That's how long before you recover your money. And then after Mm. that, for the next 10 to 15 years, it's basically electricity, all gravy from then on in. Just running that air conditioner like crazy. Yeah,
2: well, that's right. But, you know, it's... Even during the winter. Why not? Just leave all the doors open and laugh at people as they walk by.
4: Or sell it to the poor schmucks like me that live in an apartment and
2: don't have solar panels. Yeah. Yeah. And that would save the environment too because you're turning all that hot sunlight into cold air. That's how it works, right?
4: It's kind of. There might be a couple of laws of thermodynamics in there that should, we should have a look at, but you know.
2: Well, I think I've just disproved those laws, Dr. <laughs> Joel.
4: I think you're doing a very good job, Dan.
2: All right. Thank you very much for filling us in on that, Dr. Joel. My and uh, thank you for all your hard work out there.
4: No, it's exciting to be on the coal face of renewables.
2: <laughs> okay. Thanks. You. Bye. See ya. Checkmate, my friend.
1: I'll give you that. That was a really good interview. I really liked that interview. Thank you to Dr. Joel for coming back in and, and putting us right.
2: Yep. Always welcome on the podcast, Dr. Joel.
1: I, I was fascinated by that because I had a conversation when I was in parks this very weekend with some very, very clever people, but very clever people in the astronomy section yep. who, who were then saying, oh, the whole renewable resources thing is not going to work because it can't possibly work. And But of course... This just goes to show that just because you're amazing in one field doesn't mean that you might know diddly in another field. Mm. And you might, you might not. And I was going, Oh, that's terrible. Like these people, these astronomers were saying, Oh, well, we can't go solar, we can't go we can't go wind, we can't go tidal, we can't go geothermal, it's just not gonna work. And I was like, Oh, I was just nodding, going, Oh, okay, these people are clever. But then you got there are reports. I'm not just relying on Dr. Jones said something different. It's, there are reports and, and that said, No, actually we can do this. Yeah. So you've got to look for the right information from the right people, climate skeptics is what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, but that was also interesting. Um, I do have one bone of contention with Dr. Joel, and that's oh,
2: dude, don't get me started. Twenty-five percent f- a- thinks he's so smart with his doctorate and his glasses and his magician's beard. <laughs> Anyway, wow. Well, Sorry, bone of contention. Sorry.
1: That was a bit too far. Um, uh, 25% is a really big amount to ask for. If you said to the general public, I mean, I agree I could afford 25% increase in my electricity bill, and I think most people probably could, but politically it would be suicide. If any politician went, by the way, we're going to stop carbon emissions, but it'll only cost you 25%, people would lynch them. So maybe there has to be some mm, more work Which here.
2: is insane because it's less than a dollar a day. It,
1: it is, it is. It's
2: less than a dollar a day, and you end up. Not having to worry about pollution. Yeah, and and, or, or you said, a health problem. Or in the future, the sea rising. All this money comes back to you. Yeah, it
1: does. But then people argue and say, oh, that's only Australia, and we're one tiny bit. But China is now looking into climate change issues, and they're trying to do it too. So it's going to happen. But yes, it's pretty amazing that that we can. So our nation can run on renewables. There we go. I've learned something today. Do
2: you love science? Yes. Do you love poetry? No. Uh, oh, damn it. Poetry's awful. No, no limer- Poetry should only be written, never
1: read. Uh, That's my. Fair enough. When you're when you're when you're 16 and your girlfriend just broke up with you, oh, you yeah, have to yeah. write all your pain. Yeah, yeah. Burn, uh, lock it. Lock.
2: It, write your pain down and then burn it. I am like a
1: modern Poe. My love was like a big black crow. Why did she have to go? Now I am feeling low. There you go. Low.
2: Low. low. Lolo. Mm. Full stop. (laughs) Oh, the answer is yes, of course. You like limericks? Yeah, I I really do like
1: limericks. (laughs) Good, because we're having a competition here. We've said it in our last podcast. We're having a competition for someone to write a scientifically accurate and funny limerick. If you write the funniest and most scientifically accurate limerick, and I'm judging, then you can win Bioshock Infinite for the PC. Yay! Because I am silly and bought two copies by mistake.
2: And I'm in the lead so far. Well,
1: well, you've definitely put one in. Yeah, well, put com- one in. The competition's pretty high. So I'm, and I'm mine's a- pretty good. It's, it actually is. Dan's, I will give you that. It is pretty good. It is. It is one of the top. What the...
2: I'd better write another one.
1: <laughs> it's one of the top. We've had some really good I- entries, but please, ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to have some more. I'm going to read them all out on the next podcast because I think some of them will. No, actually, I won't read them all out. I'll read because some of them is woeful. No, that's not true. Uh, you know, Why did you look at me with a little <laughs> grin when you said that? <laughs> I'm going to read the best ones out and then I will announce the winner of the competition in the next podcast. So You've got two more weeks to get it in, ladies and gentlemen, and it'll be podcast 45. So you're listening to... 43 or 44, then you better get in and get off your fanny and just get in there and do it. What's a rhyme for
2: penis that's scientific? (laughs) Penis! See, there you go. All right. We've set the bar pretty low. (laughs) You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And you've also been listening to Greg at smartenough.org. You can follow us on Twitter at SE2KB.
1: Or even Facebook. We're on that too! Just look
2: it up, SC2KB. And you can jump into our forums to have a chat about stuff that we've discussed in this podcast. And sometimes I might even
1: have a go at you and I don't quite understand what you're trying to say and then have it all explained to me. I have to eat humble pie. You can make
2: me eat humble pie on a forum. (gasps) It's brilliant. With a side dish of crow. (laughs) Which makes me feel low. Ah, stop that. (laughs) If you really love us, then go ahead and show us. By going to iTunes and giving us a five star rating and maybe a little review that that's says, right. I love you, I love you, I love you. That'd be awesome. Remember, remember,
1: remember, everyone, Greg is slightly better than Dan. What? No, 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 that's not how it works. Damn it, that's, I was trying to get that sneak that in. Yeah. Also, tell your friends about us. People only learn about us by word of mouth. If you're enjoying what we're doing, then tell people, get other people involved. If you like also. the words of
2: our mouths, yeah, that's right. s- use s- the words of your mouth like a little earworm. Worm.
1: Oh, yeah. A little earworm. We get out into the world, man. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, we always love to hear your ideas. If you'd like us to cover a topic, or if you know someone who you desperately needs to be interviewed scientifically, or you just want to yell abuse at us, then send it in your abuse-ridden idea letters. But basically, ideas—we always up to ideas. Maybe segment concepts, anything you like. We will try and get it done because we are dancing monkeys of the science community.
2: All right. Well, we should probably go and see if we can find this claw machine. I, I, I just want to go touch it. I'm, I'm gonna lick it. I'm gonna lick the claw. Nah, that <laughs> sounds like a that sounds like a sexual euphemism.
1: No, it doesn't. You have dated some crazy, crazy
2: people, obviously. Yeah, she had crabs.
4: Uh, Get
2: it? Uh, this is lick the lick the. Uh, it's a crab. N- no, no. We can't put that in the podcast. <laughs> okay, lick the claw because it's a pincer thing. Stop it. It's a what? Stop it. it's a snapping trap. Everything type you of... No, everything you're saying is horrible.